Hey guys, I missed you a little bit. Jokes, missed you a lot. It's nice to be back. I had an amazing time. I bring lots of lots of love from Terry and Linda Fouché. They love they love this church. They basically want to take over this church. That's what they want to do. He's listening to me online right now. I know your motives, Terry Fouché. Dude, give me a glass of water, please, if you don't mind. <clears throat> and uh, also from Chris and Merrill. Um, so I spent some time down there with Chris and Merrill. I was with Jimmy in Romania for 10 days. You know that, right? Then I came back. And then some time with t- uh, Terry and Linda Fouché. Just uh, an amazing pastoral couple. Just absolutely amazing. Uh, they love us. They want to visit us soon up here. And then uh, Chris and Merrill send their love as well. They feel like they have deep roots with this community. Uh, these are just some random people I met down at Costa Mesa. Don't worry about it, jokes. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris and Merrill are just like from the... Thank you. They, they were the ones that sent Lois and Sharon out to plant this community like 40 years ago. What is it? Long ago. Anyway, they send their love. And then Jimmy and Gina send their love as well. Um, I was down in Mexico with them at Rancho de Sus Niños. Um, everybody wants to know when we're coming back down there. And uh, so we said this year we're going to go to Romania instead, and they're very disappointed. And, uh, yeah, so if you feel God's burning in your heart, you want to go to Mexico, talk to us, okay? Uh, or you want to take a team with you down there. But it was just so amazing to be down there with these guys to see what is happening and how God and the kingdom is growing and how there's this exponential reality to the kingdom. On Saturday morning, a couple of us went, was it Saturday morning? Friday morning. Went to... Um, a guy that was speaking in Mississauga, yeah, Bethel, one of the Bethel guys, and he was talking about this exponential reality of the kingdom. You guys know about that, right? You know about that, right? You know that one seed produces 30, 60, or 100 times. How many of you have, how many of you have had a veggie garden in your life? Ever? Okay, who's never had a veggie garden? Linda, there's this principle, you sow one potato, you get... You go back three months later and you dig it up, not before, and there are all, all kinds of potatoes. Okay? The, kingdom, the kingdom of God is literally like that. It's, 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 it's a one plus one plus one plus one plus two plus five as well. But it definitely is designed to be, to be 30, 60, or 100 fold depending on the condition of the soil of our hearts. And it's a reality. And so it is futile to pretend anything else or to diminish ourselves or our view of God to some small reality that is our reality. As important as our reality is to God, He's always saying, come up to my place. He's always calling us up, upwards, upwards in Christ. It's amazing. And this, I said it this morning just a little bit, because this is what I feel the Holy Spirit is saying. Guys, as we are preaching through the book of Genesis, and we are up here, we are all kind of apprentices, and I must say, you must know this, because the, the ultimate is not for you to go away with some academic exegesis of a book. It isn't. It is for you to hear the voice of God. Please say you hear me. It's for you and me to hear and to see what God is revealing about the character of Christ. Revelation is everything. It's everything. When Jesus was starting to head out back to heaven... Because he felt that he'd equipped these guys enough for three years. Three years. He asked this question when they entered Jerusalem. He said to Peter, Peter, Peter was one of his close mates. He said, Peter, who do the people say I am? And they said, John the Baptist. Some say Elijah the prophet coming back. 
and this and that, and all kinds of things. That's what the people said Jesus was. And then he turned to Peter and said, Peter, who do you say I am? My friends, that is everything. That is, the, that, that is the exponential reality of Christ in your life, through your life, into your generations, into your future, into your children and their children. That is it. Who, does, who is Jesus to you? What is the revelation of God to you? If you sit in this community for year in and year out and you never hear the voice of God, please talk to someone. Look around and see someone that you think hear the voice of God and say, hey, how do I do that? Hey, how do I hear the revelation? Because we don't live by intellectual knowledge only. We live by the revealed Word of God. And this theme of tabernacle through Scripture is ridiculous. Where heaven and earth meet. From Genesis to Revelation, to this glorious city in Revelation, which is basically a revelation of Jesus. And this place of tabernacle is what we are kind of in a way, I don't know if mimicking is the right word, but this is what this is. This is a micro-reality of what is happening in heaven right now. Why are they all together in heaven? How can we sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, forever and ever 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 and ever. Have you ever done that to your brain? Do it. It's fascinating. It must mean that He is really holy. It must mean that this constant revelation, this greater and greater revelation of who Jesus is, Please, release me to play golf for the rest of my life if we are not together coming into a greater revelation of who Jesus is. Do you hear me? And don't be intimidated if you feel you can't hear the voice of God. It's it's easier saying, Lord Jesus, I want you. If you have the desire within you, it's because God's placed it within you and you stimulate the desire and sometimes it takes shutting out all the noise of the world which is screaming at you. Desire, this is what you really want. No, it's not. All we want is Jesus. He's perfect in every way. He's perfect in every way. This is what these times are. This is how I can dare to even stand up here for one minute and speak to you about scriptures because I have prayed that God would give me revelation. Yesterday I said to Kath, Kath, what does this even mean? She's like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not in that frame of mind. And we came together to this conclusion that all we want is the revelation from the Spirit of God on His Word. In the beginning, the earth was chaotic, this void, and the Spirit hovered over the chaos. And then God spoke. The Spirit was hovering. God spoke. And as God spoke and the Spirit moved and they became one, creation happened. Why would we live in a format that's dead we don't have to. 30, 60, 100 fold. Jesus. More of Jesus. Lord Jesus, we want more of you. We know that we come together and we sing three songs and we listen to your voice and we listen to the scripture and we pray for each other and we connect and we love each other so much. I'm just so, 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 so excited about the word that says 30, 60, 100 fold. Even the prophetic words that you've spoken over us Sometimes we pay little heed to, but you've spoken over us, that there is a seed bed, and seeds are coming up all over. Some now, some now, next year, some in 20 years, some in 120 years. These seeds will continue to grow. Holy Spirit, you nurture it. You nurture it, Lord, through our lives. Genesis chapter 4, you ready?
Genesis chapter 4. Okay, I'm going to read out of the... Uh, oh my gosh, did I bring a Bible? Sorry, let me just grab my glasses quickly. The NIV. You ready? Let's go. I heard that Eric and Kath have done an amazing job with Genesis so far. Okay? If you have any questions, come and ask. We'll keep talking about it. These are such huge chapters. When I was at Bible school, like a long time ago, my professor, my guy who taught me, he wasn't a professor, he was just an amazing guy. His name was Ian Goulet. Anybody ever knew? He knew, yeah. So Ian is, had like a very professorial voice. He spoke very low and slow. And we did an 11-week course on, uh, on uh, the book of Genesis. And for 11 weeks, we did Genesis 1, verse 1 to 3. This was Ian's intro every single week. Morning, guys. <laughs> Start to cry. Every single week for 11 weeks. And then he'd compose himself and say, okay, hopefully today we're going to break three. We're going to break. We're going to go into four. I'm not even reading verse four. I'm not even reading it. I'm like, Ian, you're supposed to be in chapter 49 by now. Are you reading? <laughs> All that to say that Genesis is definitely my favorite book in the Bible. It is so rich and so deep and so amazing. If you don't know what to read, Genesis is a great book to start. Start reading Genesis. It's an amazing book. So... So for us, we were laughing about it, Kath and I, because we could be in Genesis in 2025 still, but we're going to try not to. So we are, we are trying to lay the foundations uh, now, um, and, then, and then we will get to a place where we will do maybe three or four chapters or maybe a theme out of six chapters or something like that in the future. But my encouragement to you is, guys, read the book while we're preaching through Genesis. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to you in the book of Genesis. And he will. If we're reading the Bible for the pages, you might as well use it to roll your tobacco in. We want to find Jesus, the Jesus in the Bible. The Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, and that's so simple. It's individually, each one of us getting into it. And if you're not a reader, Kath has told you, you have no excuse. Download the app and teach yourself to listen. Okay? Read and listen. Wow, you can see I've missed you guys. I'm not even, I just want to chat. Cain and Abel. So Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor, so Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go into the field. And while they were there in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And 
The Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse, driven from the ground, which opens its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be restless wanderer, a restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be restless and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, No, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain lay with his wife, and she became pregnant, gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then, Cain, uh, was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad. To Irad was the father of Mahujael. And Mahujael was the father of Methushael. And Methushael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Adar, and the other one was Zillah. Adar gave birth to Jabal. And he was the father of those who lived in tents and raised livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, the father of all who played the harps and the flute. And Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Namar. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, and I have a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times. Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son, and she named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Adam lay with his wife. Adam knew his wife, is the translation. Let me just start by saying this. If I've said it already, that's cool. There are 50,000 words in the English language. That is if you speak English at a prime op optical place. If you speak English properly, like the proper English people, then you have a vocabulary of about 50,000. The North American English vocabulary is 30,000. The Greek vocabulary is 50 million words. The Bible was translated into Greek, 50 million. English is 50,000. Take this 50,000. Take the zeros away. How many English words do we have for one Greek word? We're the mathematicians. How many English words do we have for one Greek word? Huh? <laughs> Linda Cook. About 50,000 words. For every English word, we have 50,000 Greek words. What's that? 1,000. Okay, thank you. Are you sure? 1,000. So the ratio is one word to 1,000 words. Okay, that's still... 50,000 sounded so much better. But 1,000 is dramatic. <laughs> Having said all that, when we get into Genesis, all right? This is a super old book and it was translated into Greek. It's, it's, it's important for us to get the slightly bigger narrative, do you understand? The context in which it was spoken. If John was here, he would say, Amen. Where is John? Never mind. So Adam lay with his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. The Greek word for lay with his wife, is literally to know, to 
to know your to know your wife. And there are many references throughout the Old Testament of this word to know. In fact, one John repeats this word to know, which means to know intimately, thirty times in that short book of one John that you would know the Father, which speaks of 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 in this case, sexual intimacy is to know. The purpose of it is to know. The world's purpose of it is, is, is to fulfill a drive. But the biblical purpose is to know. And so that's how I'm going to approach this. Cain means, so the Greek word is to know, Genesis, and it's, highly, and it's an interpersonal term, and it, it totally contradicts, totally, in, in most every way, what the world says about sex and intimacy that it's a drive and so on. And it's, it's to know one another and to come into a unity only found in covenant, not outside covenant. Outside covenant, sex is not to know. It's only inside covenant. This is a covenantal reality. Why? Why is that such a big deal? Because the kingdom of God is all about covenant. We serve a God that is a covenant-keeping God. And He is about covenant, which means we are all in, He is all in. Not we are half in and He's half in that makes a whole. It's one plus one. It's the exponential reality of the kingdom. All in, all in. Covenant. Outside of that, there is no knowing. It's just the fulfillment of the drive. And therefore, it is not an act of worship. But inside covenant, in purity, it's an act of worship. I just wanted to stop there and say this. So she said, um, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to Abel. Now, Abel, uh, so Cain means I've got him or here he is or I have created something with the help of God. Remember, this is the first child that was ever born on the earth. And the promises that God spoke to Adam and Eve orig- originally was that, that, that from them will come the Messiah. And so obviously, I, I think many of the scholars write this, I think it's obvious that they thought, wow, here comes Cain. He is going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the one that saves us and brings us back. And some scholars say that Cain was conceived inside the garden, inside the promise. And even though he was conceived inside the promise, he was birthed outside of the covenant, outside of the promise, into sin, like the New Testament describes to us. We are all born into sin, into the sinful world. And that's why the term, you must be born again, which means you must be born from your spirit. And this is important because of, because of what Cain did later on. This is a big deal. Because we can, A.W. Tozer said this in the 50s, that we will build a church without Jesus. And we will end up with mega moves of God, but Jesus will not be a part of that reality. So we can sell it to a form of Christianity, but it lacks its power. It doesn't have the dynamic. Does that make sense to you? So, the, so the, uh, God-man, the man with the help of God... Uh, um, and she legit must have thought he was the, uh, he was the, the Messiah. Abel was a, was a shepherd, and Cain worked with the soil, remembering that the soil was, was cursed because of the fall of man and sinful nature. Cain worked with the soil. So in the course of time, Cain, Cain brought some fruit uh, off the soil as an offering to the Lord. This is, uh, the, uh, so this is not an uh, atonement offering. This is not a, an offering for sin, to atone for sin. This is just an offering. God has never demanded this offering. The sacrificial system was birthed here, um, but it was, there was, up to this time, there was never a scripture where God says, come and bring me gifts or sacrifices or anything like that. And Abel also brought an offering of, and the fat portions of some of the firstborn of the flock. It's interesting that Belinda mentioned that this morning. The firstborn of the flock. So he honored God with that which was first. And the, the Lord looked with favor on Abel's offering, 
But on Cain's offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was angry, very angry, and his face was downcast. So, so, these two offerings, the one was grain and, 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 and fruit from the soil. The other one was flesh and blood. Okay? Um, some guys that I really like say that, like N.T. Wright says, there's no difference between the offerings. Because it wasn't really a demand from God. There's no difference between the offerings. The difference happened when they both, in the way that they brought the offerings. Okay, so keep that in mind. Other guys say, no, this is definitely a, a prophetic thing of the, the Lamb of God and the blood that was shed for atonement because Abel's blood was crying out like the martyr's blood cries out. And the Bible speaks about that today. Cries out to the Lord for, a, for atonement, for, for judgment, for proper judgment. And then it started with one man, one lamb. Then it went to one, man, one lamb, one family in the Old Testament as we progress. Then it went to one lamb for a whole nation. Then it went to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who took away the sin of the world. So the progression there is that. It's just an interesting fact to keep in mind. And God will reveal to you what's really important. But you'll see what I want to emphasize here. So Hebrew, Hebrews explains why God accepted Abel's and rejected Cain's. Now, as children in the Sunday school, did you guys do the story of Cain and Abel? This is so not a kid's story. I mean, it's a kid's story for sure it is. But this is like a serious story. And for me, we, in my children's Bible, I lo- absolutely love my, illustrate the children's Bible. Moses was the coolest looking guy ever. I always wanted to look like him. Me- mega gray hair and mega beard. Serious robe, muscular neck. He was like awesome. But the two fires, I remember very clearly in my mind's eye now from 50 years ago, literally, uh, the one, the one, so we don't know how they knew that God accepted the one and not the other, but in my children's Bible, the smoke for the one that God accepted went straight up, and the, the one that God didn't expect, the smoke went, smoke went sideways. But the biblical reference is that if God accepted an offering that was ever brought, fire from heaven would come down and consume the offering. That's the repeating pattern in the scripture. Nevertheless, they both brought the offering. They both knew one, that Abel was accepted and Cain was rejected. And there is no further indication in that particular text that tells us why this actually happened. Now, if we look back, like Greg Boyd says, through the filter, the filter of the cross, the hermeneutic filter, and we look back, then we get a perspective, like in Hebrews 11, when he speaks about the fathers of faith. It says the only difference between Cain's offering and Abel's offering was not the fact that one was a lamb, and the first fruit, and the one was, was potatoes and, 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 and wheat. No, it says the way in which they brought it. And this, to me, is the, the penultimate reality of the Scripture, and it emphasizes the danger of superficial spirituality. And you can see the fruits as we look at Cain's life a little bit further, how he was never grieved for the sin that he had committed, and his approach was never to get onto God's side against himself. He was always defending himself against God. And God became the villain, and the words of Dallas Willard, eventually all that God could do is hand him over to his emphatic desire to have his own way and be justified in his own strength and made right in his own strength. It's huge. Cain brought his offering because he just brought it. Abel brought his offering by faith. That's the difference. By faith. One was a form of an empty shell, because it was the thing to do. And the other was something that he brought with all humility. Cain's offering was clean, 
and packaged nicely. This is what the old school scholars say. I don't know how they know that. But it was nicely presented in a pile and it was really nicely swept together. And there it was on the altar. Abel's offering, he was full of blood by the time he slaughtered this calf that he loved. Nobody ate meat at that stage. The flood had not happened. These were pets that they loved and were very close to. He slaughtered this lamb and he brought this to the, to the Lord. He was full of blood. It was a mess. It was a bloodbath. And somehow God saw his faith and saw his unbelief. And that's what pleased God about Abel. And that's why God was not pleased with Cain. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for you today? Right here. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead today, which means it's for us now. It is, can be applied to my life and your life now. Abel brought his offering by faith. Cain's offering was an effort of dead religion. An effort of dead religion. When God sent the prophets out to go and take the kingdom, all of them, Jeremiah, Isaiah, even Ezra, Nehemiah for sure, he said that there will be a season of tearing down, of breaking down. And so often we don't understand that. And sitting into, in California now into a little church planter's uh, uh, session or whatever, ten guys are sitting around planning how they're going to plant a church. I just sat silent. I didn't say one word the entire hour and a half, listening to them planning, planning the budget, planning the sound system. All I wanted to shout is, God, it's going to take one year at least in each one of you for God to tear down the old. Our perception, our approach, our expectations of how things should look and the order in which things should happen. And I'm not against order. Everything needs a structure, without a doubt. But if it prevents us and it becomes a superficial place where we can just scoop things together and present to God without faith, our lives will remain unchanged and dead religion will very soon consume us. Therefore, everything we do, we do by faith. Faith, what does that mean? We believe that we're doing this. We believe it because this is what God's Word says. If it doesn't line up with what we live or what we believe, we step out of that reality into God's reality and we do this by faith because there is literally no way in this world that you or me can ever change anyone's behavior. But if you change their faith, their behavior will soon follow. You don't even have to spend any energy on people's behavior. So where's your faith? It's either dead works or it's works of life, expectation in God. And very often, that walk of faith. Christians, listen to me. Followers of Jesus, it'll take you into places where you will live in stark contrast to, 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 to the reality that you find yourself staring at. Faith is still and will always be the substance of the things that we hope for and the evidence of the things we do not yet see. That's why God asked the prophets. And that voice needs to be louder in the church. What do you see? Oh, all I see is the valley of dead bones. What do you see? Oh, I see the fig tree. It's blossoming. What do you see? What do you see? What do you see for your life and for this community as a result of that? Covenant? What do you see? Let me take a sip. I see cold water. Down in uh, California now, somebody prophesied over me and said that he saw a seedbed, a long seedbed, 
into the, into the, it, it went on and on into the, into, the, into the future. And all along the seed, seeds had been sown by God. And I'm taking that for Red Hill because this is where God has called Kath and I now. And that over time, as we grow and as we live and as, as we eventually die, it will supersede us. And the seeds will continue to come up and come up and come up and come up that we have sown into our lives. I want to hear that. Why? Because that lifts my faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Abel, please God. Why? He brought his sacrifice, his offering, which God did not demand, but he wanted to bring it. He brought it by faith. Cain did not. Friends, do you get it? Let's not engage in superficial spirituality. When you walk into this door on a Sunday, it has to be the overflow of the reality of your life lived by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for you. This is the overflow of that reality. So when we come in here, it's like this. I preached it years ago. Like we stand like this. It's like, it's like on the dive Go, 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 go. Cole, you're supposed to join with me. Yeah. <laughs> go, go, go. You can do it. You can do it. It's like this. We're leaning in. We're leaning in. It's not 10.45, cup of tea. Make me do something, God. Good luck. No, it's like... Yeah, huh, huh. if you come once to the prayer meeting downstairs at 9 30, you will love it. There we are. Normal people, but all we're doing is leaning in. We're leaning in, Lord, what do you want to do today? You have a plan already. That's why my approach now into the nations is, wow, God, this is so cool. You're calling us into the nations. We are going to Romania, not remain here, the actual country in Eastern Europe. So everybody's going to Romania. Some will remain here and others will go to Romania. But the bottom line is, this is what I wanted to say. When I was there visiting Jimmy a month ago or so, there we were. Guys, honestly, you know I cry quite easily. You know it. There I am. These girls, three girls, I told you this already. Three girls. Three girls under the age of 25. One is 19 from Toronto. Leading a base. Three, okay, I got there after they had paid the price of sexual assault in the villages. People smearing poop on them. Women coming up to them, old gypsies, spitting into their faces and they're wiping it off and say, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? We become a part of what God is already doing there. We didn't actually even hear. We just go there because of covenant relationships. Filled with faith. Moves us to the deepest parts of our emotions. Can you see the order? It's not emotions that fizzles out like a seed that's sown onto a rocky bed. Very emotional, quickly springs. Soon the roots hit the rock. No, we move by faith. That's the perpetual future that we live in. Jobs. Dreams. Ridiculous dreams. Ridiculous dreams. What are you dreaming for the kingdom? What are you dreaming for Red Hill? I'd love to start a dream wall. You see that big black wall? There's a reason for that black wall. I'd love us to write our dreams on and pin it in there with a pin. Our dreams for this community, what we see. And the sky's the limit. Why? Because we have the Father. (laughs) Our Father. Our Father is the God of all creation. There's no limit. He's given us the Spirit. It actually says without measure. We are unable to measure the capacity of the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's exponentially generated by our faith. 
Think about that. Write that down and meditate on that. It is generated by our faith. Be it to you according to your faith. Stir up your faith, believers, and it will always come at an expense. Always. The grace of God is free, but it came at a massive price. And so there, by faith, Abel brought God a bit offering. Cain's offering was grain. Verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry? Do you think God didn't know why he was so angry? Why do you, whenever God asks me a question, I promise you I pay attention because I know something's up. Because God knows all things. So if he asks a question, it's because he wants me to know the answer to the question he's asking me. Supposedly he wants to know. He wants me to know it. Saul, why are you so, Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face down? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. That word crouching, have you ever seen the old cathedrals? It's the biggest irony in my mind when I walk around England or Europe. On the corners of these massive cathedrals, they have crouching demons. Has anyone ever seen them? What are they called? Gargles. Gargles. They literally... When we go to Glen, Glen, uh, Glen Karen to play golf, just before you turn in, there's a house on the right. The guy's got this massive crouching demon. Ah. That is what sin is to you and me, the sons of God. It's crouching at our door. Okay? This is not to make you scared because we walk in victory. But it does create a stark contrast to the reality of doing the right thing and not doing the right thing. Because if we don't do the right thing, and faith does not enter our life, our words, and the way we live. Sin is crouching at our door, ready to pounce on us, to destroy us. Because to the second, the enemy of God, Satan, is still out there like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He might not have any teeth, but he still steals, kills, and destroys. And I don't think we have, I don't think we have to fear the other religions, ever. Never been afraid of a Muslim or a Hindu or whoever the other religions, the thousands of religions. I think we have to fear superficial spirituality. We have to fear religion. More people will lose their inheritance because they present a form to God thinking that's it. Thinking all I have to do is come to church. If you come to church, you do not necessarily, you aren't necessarily the church. We are the church. And that's what Jesus says. If we renew our minds, he will, he will produce life in us. Not us produce life and then trust Him to renew our minds. The only way that I know to renew your mind is to stop and to meditate. To think. To think. It doesn't matter what your intellectual capacity is. The Holy Spirit is partnering with you to renew your mind. Because when your mind is made new, your life flows. No other time. And so we cannot settle for just a format of dead religion. We must renew our minds so that we are transformed. It's our only hope not to be squashed into the mold of the world. Then the Lord said to Cain, and sin, sin desires to hear one card once. So friends, and this is the model of, of overcoming sin. We know that. Our determination, we don't have enough to overcome sin. It starts with submission to God. So we submit to God. We hear His voice. We respond. We meditate on Him. And then we resist the devil and He will flee. James. God warns Cain that sin desires him and is waiting for him at the door. So do the right thing. Without God as our Lord, we automatically become slaves to sin. There's, there's no other way because of the sinful nature of man. 
as, as Kath or somebody preached, the Adamic nature. Sin entered the world. Our path to redemption is alliance with God against our sinful nature. Our own self. We're on God's side against us to deal with the sinful nature. It comes in submission to God. There is no other place to do that. And you've seen Christians sometimes that have served the Lord for 10, 20, 30, 40 years that have lost the fire and the faith. But their commitment is relentless. Because they've worship, they're worshipping the format. They worship worship. They worship prayer. They worship church come, coming together. We can't do that. We just can't do that. It's deadly. We must do the right thing. Because sin is crouching at our door, ready to destroy us. He's not good. He doesn't play fair. He will seduce you into death if he has to. So let's be aware. And then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother? He obviously knew where his brother was, but he asked Cain because in his graciousness, he wants to give Cain again the opportunity to confess. Okay? Where's your brother? And then he doesn't confess and he attacks. And it's amazing to me, yeah? So God confronts Cain with a question that he knew the answer to. God's mercy giving Cain the opportunity to confess and do the right thing. How silly to lie to God and to, that we can actually hide something from, the, from a loving God who sees absolutely everything. How many of you have ever tried to hide something from God? Come on, I have. He, you can't. You can't hide it from Him. And He's not really running after you with a stick to whip you until you show Him what's in your hand that you're hiding or whatever. No, He's a loving Father that wants the best for us. So stop trying to hide. It's the way of Cain, like 1 John says. And like uh, there's several references in Scripture of the way of Cain. The way of Cain is religion, where we live in blatant sin that we feel that God doesn't see. And no one else, it doesn't affect anyone, but it absolutely does. It does. And if you don't hear, and if you don't do the right thing, sin is crouching at your door like a demon waiting to devour you. And there will come a time where God stepped back. He's not a judgmental, vengeful God, but will... In his wrath, this is the word wrath, to give you over to these things that you desire more than him. Am I my brother's keeper? Actually, yes, he was supposed to be his brother's keeper. Instead, he became his brother's murderer. And Jude, chapter, Jude verse 11 says, Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's era. Balaam was the guy who hit the donkey. Remember that guy? The donkey says, what are you doing? Why are you hitting me? And then Balaam spoke back to the donkey, which is the coolest part of the scripture. Uh, And uh, so Balaam was a guy who just was pursuing the things of God for his own personal profit. He was using the church to exploit the church, the body of Christ, for his own gain. Balaam's Balaam's error. Cain presented something to God and tried to think that God would not see it. Hide his sin in a religious format without faith, void of faith. And then Korah's rebellion with those guys that rose up as this little group of guys that sucked into a mob mentality against Moses as leader. What happened to them? <laughs> Earthquake. Ah! <laughs> Gone. Actually happened. So religious acts, no faith, is more deadly than anything else. And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood's crying out. Abel, Abel cries out for, for judgment and Jesus cries out for mercy. Because in him all sin has been judged. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opens its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops. Can you imagine how tough that must have been? The gr- ground was already cursed under Adam. Now it will not yield your crops. 
and you'll become a wanderer. Can you imagine working day and night? I've felt some pretty hard ground in my life. It's horrible. But out of that, somehow supernaturally, just like the winter, if you look at it right now, can you believe in two months we'll have daffodils and all kinds of cool little flowers coming out, popping out here? You can't imagine it. Still, there's the promise, the hope of fruitfulness. This is hope. And now Cain is living without hope. Oh, my God. Think of it in your life. For the fleeting satisfactory pleasures of the moment that you think you're hiding from God. You will get to a place where you will lose all hope. And everything you sow, you will have no hope that it will grow. You will look forward to no holiday. You will be not excited about any gift. Your soul will be eaten from you and taken from you. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Hear the merciful voice of the Father. Hear it. You must hear it. No matter how extreme the consequence of Cain's sin, God still had mercy. So Cain still amazingly shows no remorse here. He's more upset about the punishment than he is about his sin and he's completely unable to confess. He's completely unable to. He doesn't have the language. Sin literally does that to us. The same pride that leads us away from God gives us a real sense of entitlement against the goodness of God. So much so that we don't see how good God actually is. It's it's ridiculous. Jimmy told me the story when he was, that he was preaching on, and I'm going to close. You guys are right. He told me the story. He, when he was a little boy, he climbed on his... Everybody, who had a cookie jar in their fridge? We never did. Who did? Okay, guys, there's this thing in America called a cookie jar in the fridge. So this cookie jar of Jimmy's granny was, made, was given to her by her granny. So it's like a super old cookie jar. And um, Jimmy climbed on the fridge on the kitchen cupboard, took the cookie out, and he was a little boy, like five or six, the cookie jar fell off and smashed. Okay? Now, today, I was just like, oh, that's okay. We've got to win this and get another one. But Jimmy's father said, Jimmy, get to the room right now until you are ready to apologize. He's a little boy, okay? So he goes to the room filled with what? Shame. Shame. In his shame, listen to this. This is so huge. Oh, God. He could not speak the words because he was so filled with shame. His granny was sitting outside in the kitchen longing for Jimmy to come out. The dad said, Jimmy, don't come out the room until you're ready. The granny didn't want to usurp the thing, but her heart was aching for her grandson. Jimmy's dad went off and worked. Jimmy sat in the room until the sun went down that night because he was covered with shame. He could not speak the words, I am sorry. When the sun went down, the granny couldn't stand it anymore. She went into the room. There was Jimmy lying on the bed. He jumped up. The way he told me the story, I was crying next to the fire, Jimmy and I. His granny came in and she embraced him and she held him and she kissed him a hundred times. And she said, Jimmy, I forgive you. This is before Jimmy said anything. She held him and she said, we can get another cookie jar. That cookie jar is very precious to me. But it's okay. Accidents happen. 
What happened to Jimmy's emotions? Shame left him. Why? The forgiveness of the granny. What happened then is so big. Suddenly, Jimmy had language. He had words. And he said, Granny, I am so sorry I broke your cookie jar. Do you get it? It's the story of Cain and our good father. We hide in our sin and depravity. And he says, please don't go there. It's going to destroy you. Please don't go there. We don't have the language. In fact, we're so angry with him that he would allow all this stuff to happen to us. If you're a good God, why is all this happening to me? Why am I planting all this stuff? I have no hope. I'm, I'm trying so hard in the world to get ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm broke. I'm single. I'm this. I'm that. And the father's saying, let me hold you and take the shame and give you the language to come out of the room. That, that was for me, I guess. Oh, give me some more water, please. So, but the Lord said to him, not so anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance. So, uh, one, of the, one, of the conqu- one of the consequences of sin is that it makes uh, the sinner feel sorry for himself. Self-pity. Everybody knows that self-pity is the name of the devil's babysitter. He keeps you, he looks after you forever. He's called self-pity. So self-pity, instead of causing him to turn to God, thanks to you, of the first signs of the new life is that the individual takes the side of God against himself. That's the first sign of new life. What does that look like? Confess your sin. What is the key to the New Testament fellowship model? the model for true fellowship and relationship here, confess your sins to one another. Then you will walk in the light. Nothing hidden in darkness. Confess your sins to one another. Why? So we can remain in the lineage of Abel who approached God by faith. Those who have no faith have no confession to be made. They are the ones who shake their fist against God. How can you allow this to happen? How can you be like this? Even in that place, God makes a way. Even in that place, God approaches and says, don't do this, come to me, come to me, come to me. Isn't that amazing? So the Lord said to him, no matter how extreme the consequences of Cain's sin, God still had mercy to make Cain, to protect him. Nobody really knows what the sign of Cain was. Does anybody here, can anybody stab a guess here? What was the, the mark of Cain? Anybody heard anything? Nobody. So, yeah, the scholars don't really know what it is. The old Jewish writings, which is really the only ones that that say something about it, is that there was a horn that grew out of his head. So I don't believe that. If you want to, you can. But if that was true, there'll be a lot of horns right now. He will be like, hey, hey. Yeah, so, yeah, the old Jewish father said that a horn grew out of Cain's head. But, yes, I just can't see that. So, so then Cain made, Cain made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Enoch built a city, right? This is the beginning of the industrial and the urbanization and the beginning of, of man building away from God. You see that? So, so Cain had a son, Enoch. Enoch. Seth was the replacement of Abel through Adam and Eve. He had a son, Enosh. Enoch is man's way. That's literally almost what it means. Enosh means the weak one. 
Where have we heard that? Jesus. Who was the lineage through? Not through Cain. Through Abel. Seth. The lineage became to Jesus, the weak one. The lion that became the lamb. That was slain to take away the sin of the world. The lineage. There it was. And so Cain built this massive city. Enoch was born. Erod knew the inheritance. And then they had this wicked, wicked evil son called Lamech. Lamech was so evil. Terrible evil guy. And, um, um, and anyway, Lamech ended up killing Cain in his history. And Lamech was super easy. And he was the seventh son in the line of Cain. But the seventh son in the line of, of, of Adam was, was Enosh, the weak one. This beautiful perpetuation. Um, Adam made love to his wife again, had, had birth, gave birth to a son named Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in the place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son and named him Enosh. And at that time, what people, what scholars, Billy Graham in particular, said was the first revival that happened on the earth. People started to call out on the name of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Cain and Abel. Friends, there are two guys here, two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain is a way of life. Abel is a way of life. Cain is hiding your sin from God because you are engaged in a superficial spirituality and religious. It's dead, empty works, dead works. Abel is messy, bloody, not perfect, awkward at times. It's authentic. It's filled with faith. It's the real deal. It's not polished. It's not perfect. Who wants that camp? Me. I for sure want that camp. Who wants Cain's camp? Nobody. If you hide your sin, you are choosing Cain. I want to say to you, sin is crouching at your door like a demon waiting to devour you. There's one solution. God says it. Confess. Confess. Okay, let's stand together and pray.